He's worthy to be praised. Amen, church? Wow, thank you, band, for leading us in worship this morning. It's always good, man. You can be seated or you can stand. We don't, we don't, we don't care. God only cares if it doesn't exalt Him. Amen? That's, that's, that's what God cares about. It's just us exalting Him and praising Him. And man, I'm so glad you've chosen. I want to add my word of welcome to all of our guests. I'm so glad you've chosen to worship with us this summer Sunday. And I was thinking about that, Summer Sunday. I hope you're all having a good summer. But the thought that crossed my mind earlier when we were praising and worshiping is, I'm glad there's going to be no humidity in heaven. Could I get a witness? Amen? No humidity in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that any Alabamians won't be there or people from Louisiana, for sure. But, I mean, there will be no humidity, all right? So, um, I'm grateful for that, all right? So, I bet it'll be humid in hell. So, that's why we need to get as many people as we can, all right? Uh, to follow Jesus and to trust Jesus. So it is a delight to be with you this morning and uh, appreciate Pastor Steve Abney filling in last week. And uh, maybe you understand better now at the 50 uh, for our faith family here that we'll be participating with at the 50. And we'll be, uh, I'm going to ask you to be praying for that. Even if you're a guest here today, be praying for us because our heartbeat is, is um, there's churches that uh, make up a partnership in our association that we're a part of. And so we're going to be going out. Each church is going to be going out in the community uh, between now now and September uh, the 16th, and then we're going to be having like a, um, a, a it's like a harvest crusade time in the fall of the year to where hopefully people who might not enter the doors of a church, even though we hope they would, they will come to a football stadium, Mormon Jordan High School, and they will come uh, and hear a, a, a previous football player, uh, Bobby Humphrey, share his testimony, how God changed his life um, and uh, God used his testimony with the Denver Broncos and different people. So y'all be bathing that in prayer. And then the training that we'll be participating in, I know I think uh, we had one or two that went to the uh, training over at Waterstone. And then we'll be doing training on July the 26th. And Pastor Steve may have said it last week, but he did, me, he did encourage me to encourage the church as a whole that everybody can come to that. It does not mean that you have to be a counselor that night of the event. Uh, in September, but he said it would be good for everybody. So if you want to learn how to share your personal faith better uh, and learn how to reach your immediate family, extended family, uh, neighbors, uh, co-employees that you work with, uh, he said be there on the 26th at High Point and Corner at 6.30. So mark your calendar for that on July the 26th, and we'll, we'll go together, and then some of us will be committed to train, uh, be trained as counselors to be there to receive those as God uh, moves and the net is drawn there at Mormon Jordan High School. On September the 16th. Well, we are in 1 Thessalonians, so you can make your way over to the New Testament. We are just working our way through the book of Thessalonians, which has been a great encouragement to me personally. Uh, to see God's work among the people there at Thessalonica and to see his work among the believers uh, that they were really, really grasping and getting. And a lot of these believers were young. And so Paul um, visited them to encourage them and to challenge them and to uh, do the things that we have to do, even that I have to do as an elder, as a pastor, as an overseer, our elders here, shepherds and pastors and overseers. It's our heartbeat to keep us on focus and to stay focused. And we said last week we looked at uh, the the real life of those who are truly following Christ, that there will be, uh, Christ will be exemplified in everything we do. So Christ will be exemplified in the life of real followers, we said. That's what's eventually, whatever's in you, how many of you know this? Whatever's in you is eventually going to come out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's not the time to elbow your husband, ladies, and say, oh, I'm going to tell him what come out of you last night, all right? Because we're all sinners, right? So if you need to repent, repent. Uh, so, but, but, but whatever's in you is eventually going to come out. So that means if Jesus is really in you, and, 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 and Jesus 
is at the throne of your life and the Holy Spirit is driving your car and not you throwing him in the trunk and only pulling him out when you need him, it's going to come out of you somewhere. There's going to be something, and not only is it going to come out of you, you're going to pick it up in other believers. Your spirit, the Bible says, your spirit will bear witness with the spirit of other believers. And that, only, that witness is only born because of the Holy Spirit within me and another believer who I may not even know and engage for the first time. And it's just like we know one another. And only the Spirit of God can bring that koinonia, that fellowship, together. And so that's what's happening at the church of Thessalonica, man. They are really being church. They are the body of Christ. They are seeing their role, their purpose. And any time that God is at work and alive, because remember, the church is not a building. It's not a building with a steeple where you open it up and there's the people as we were trained growing up. It's the body of Christ. And the church was designed, it is a living organism, okay? We are a living organism ordained by God himself to be a movement on earth. A movement on planet earth. A movement that doesn't just move us inwardly, but the only reason it moves us inwardly is to come together in the true quantity and fellowship of God to motivate us to go outwardly to reach those who do not know God. So the church is a movement. It's not a settlement it's not a place where you come to be stagnated. It's not a place where you come to make yourself feel better by saying you showed up and checking your attendance off. It's a place, it's a body, okay? It's a body more than a place. It's a people more than a place. It's a body. It's you, it's me if you're a true disciple and a true Christ follower. And so the church of Thessalonica, they were getting this. And so and when that happens, I promise you, I promise you, any church that is representing the church of Thessalonica, the church of Antioch that Acts talks about, where we got the name Christian from. Most people don't realize what a true Christian is. You read the church at Antioch and you'll go, oh, that's what I signed up when I said I'll follow Jesus. That's what I signed up for. I'll deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. Oh, wow. I, I, I signed up for biblical Christianity, not American Christianity. Uh, I signed up to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth in hard places. I signed up to master a squatty potty as the Spirit leads me to take the gospel to our adapted, adopted village in West Africa. Could I get a witness from some of you? Amen. And so that's who I'm following. I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is encouraging these believers, and they deserve to be encouraged. But he also has to come along, as pastors, elders, and shepherds do, as this church is being established. That's why he's bringing other elders, other apostles with him. And so this church is being established. And so Paul comes along to encourage them, but because the real thing is happening, because they have died to themselves, they are not there to complain about what seat they get, they're not there to complain about uh, what the temple should look like, or whose home they're going to meet in, or if they have the air, if they don't have air. They didn't have air back then, all right? So that should make all of us be recipients of God's grace, grateful for that. They didn't talk about all that. They said, we want to honor God with our lives. Well, when they made that commitment in that statement to follow God, just like when the apostles made it and laid down their nets to follow Jesus, immediately the enemy came in to come against them more than he ever had in their life. You know why some people sitting in the church today and even sitting in this room and across our churches today don't know what we're talking about when we talk about the enemy coming against you? Because you are no threat to the enemy. You are no threat to the enemy when you are focused on yourself. You are no threat to the enemy when you are trying to justify your conscience 
for the reason you show up at church more than anything. But when you become a willing vessel and a willing servant and a true follower of Jesus Christ, you become a threat to the enemy. When you, when you tell God you're going to follow him and you're going to get up on Sunday and it's not going to be about you, but it's going to be about looking out for somebody who may not know him and you're going to devote your Sunday to loving that person towards Jesus, you become a threat to the enemy. When you become a body of believers in a church that says, listen, we are not going to be selfish with this gospel. We are not going to justify and say, well, we need to do more in our backyard. We're going to be all-inclusive to the fulfillment of Acts 1-8 because he said, you will be, not you might be, you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So we're going to do all we can for the glory of God to get the gospel to people. And we should be doing it everywhere. We should be doing it everywhere. It should be easier for us, actually, to do it on our streets, our neighbors, around us, than obviously the latter is, but we should be committed to doing the latter, and more people should be coming a part of that. And so that's the heartbeat. All the heartbeat that you're going to see in the Word of God is the gospel. So what we're looking at today is 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And here's the sermon title, What to Do When You're Falsely Accused. Anybody ever been falsely accused of something? Anybody in here ever had somebody say something bad about them? Anybody in here ever had somebody say something about you that was untrue? All right. Well, that's what Paul dealt with. That's what Paul faced. Welcome to the party if you're going to fully surrender to God and serve him. Someone is going to come against you. Some are going to realize they're used by the enemy. Because the Spirit draws people to worship, and the enemy sends people to the same house of worship in the church. There is, did you know there is tares? The, the Bible calls Jesus with the wheat and tares. There are tares sitting all in our churches across America and among the wheat. And that's why Jesus says, I'll take care of if you'll be faithful. And that's what Paul wanted the church of Thessalonica to know. If you'll be faithful to following God, if you'll be faithful, elders, to be strong leaders, if you'll be faithful to be biblically sound rather than human sound, if you'll be biblically faithful to, drive, to, to building, allowing God to build the church in the way he wants it built biblically, not the way America builds its constitution, God will honor it and God will bless it. If you'll be faithful to look more like God in the kingdom of God than the systems are the things of the world and pursue the kingdom of God more than the things of the world, God will bless it. But we must understand that we've got to realize what is God's blessing and what is God's success. And so the church at Thessalonica was seeing God's blessing. They were seeing God's success. And so because of that, Paul received great persecution. And so the takeaway today is the best way to defend your conduct is to have the character of Christ. Simply put, what am I going to do? They told so-and-so this. What am I going to do? They think I did it at work, and it was her. She did it because she wants the promotion. She made me look bad. He did this, and, makes, and he thinks that I did it. And I'm going to, what do I do? Well, if you have the character of Christ, you go to sleep every night very gently. If you have the character of Christ and you're walking in integrity, you let God sort it out. If you have the character of Christ and you're walking in obedience, you serve a God who has to bless obedience. So you don't worry about your enemies. 
You have a God who says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So rather than worry about your enemies or getting even with your enemies, you know what you're supposed to do with your enemies? Love them. Pray for them. <laughs> Consider it all joy when you go through trials, tribulations, suffering, persecution. Why? Because God's making you stronger. But you don't toot your horn that you're stronger. You pray to God, the person coming against you will find Jesus and be your partner in ministry, be your brother, be your sister in Christ, so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. And you can share that testimony. But instead, the enemy wants to divide, and the enemy wants to come against us. And he was doing this with Paul. So let me give you a little historical context. And remember, we're slowly working through this. And um, we, 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 as we work through this, we're, we're trying to get to the re return of Jesus Christ. All right, y'all just keep that mindset. All right, we're, we're just waiting on the return of Christ as we work through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So he may come before we get back, but if not, we'll get through it. All right? And, and so, but we're, we see in this, I want to give you some historical context. Paul and then the apostles there around him, they began their evangelistic work in Berea to begin with in the synagogue. Uh, and um, that was custom. That was their custom. And there, many Jews uh, believed. But when the Jews began to believe and become converting Christians, as there are in the world today, it upset the other Jews who were not believing in Jesus Christ, who did not believe that Christ was the one that came and stepped foot on earth. And so it stirred up great trouble. And the trouble came from the Jews who did not believe. The trouble came from the Jews who did not believe because they were getting upset. Here they are, a Jewish people. The gospel is coming to their people, their group, and they're sitting here teaching that, no, that's not Christ. That's not the Christ we want coming in, serving on a lowly, riding lowly on a donkey. That's not our God. That's not the one who's going to get us out of political uh, uh, dominion that is over us by the Roman government. We don't want anything to do with that guy. We don't want anything to do with that Jesus. But when the gospel came to these people, these people begin to open their hearts and open their eyes and they go, oh, wow, he's God. Only God could do that. And they begin to see that he was Jesus. They begin to see that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And so it caused a great uproar and a great stirring and it stirred up lots of trouble. That's what Acts 17 deals with. Now at this point, the Berean Christians, where God was working among the Berean Christians, they had sent Paul away to Athens, but Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Then, having been sent far by Paul, Silas and Timothy joined Paul in Athens, but he soon sent Silas back to Philippi and, and, uh, and sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. So Timothy was heavily influenced, uh, influential into the church of Thessalonica, and this was good training ground for Paul's young protege, Timothy, as he was there ministering in Thessalonica. And later, both men returned to Paul while he was practicing his trade in Corinth with a gift from the Christian uh, churches there in Macedonia, in the towns of Macedonia. So Paul actually wrote 1 Thessalonians on his second missionary journey uh, from Corinth when he was there. And so he had a purpose for writing this book. And the purpose that he had for writing this book to the church at Thessalonica is the same purpose that carries over to all churches today that are serving faithfully the Lord God. It would be uh, the same word that we need to hear because it's the word of God. And so he, he wanted to thank, he wanted to encourage them uh, in, in, in their walk, that he was seeing that there was testimony. Because when you really live for Jesus, it's going to ooze out. When you really live for Jesus and you exalt God, he inhabits the praises of his people. He honors obedience, and it's going to make a difference, and word's going to get back because God sees it first. But word's going to spread that you're his. And so Paul wanted them to be encouraged. 
Now, he, in chapter 2, he also, in this book, is finding him that he's having to defend himself against his enemies, especially these Jewish opponents. And so he exhorted his readers, knowing that not only would he face it, but that they also would face it. That's the way it goes. If you imitate Christ, and you imitate others that imitate Christ, as we said in the first message in this series, uh, then you can expect opposition. But he said, stand firm in your persecution. He reminded them of this. Do not return. Return to what? Do not return to paganism. Do not return to idol worship. As uh, we've been reading in Hosea, if you're following the biblical reading, uh, as we read a couple of weeks ago in Hosea, don't, don't return to uh, idolatry and forms of idolatry. And then he also encouraged them, remember, that Jesus is returning. Hey, the best is yet to come. Hey, don't run in fear of persecution. Don't run away from the task at hand. Remember who you follow. He told you you were going to face tribulation. He told you it was going to be tough. He told you the world was going to hate you and say false things about you. They hated him. What do you expect if you're really living for Jesus? It's just the way people are. It's just the way the enemy works. And unfortunately, the enemy gets in so many to work through them. And he said, don't focus on that. Don't focus on if that makes you feel bad. I mean, focus on are you obediently following God? And are you not only obediently following God? But the thing Paul loved that what he saw in these believers at Thessalonica is their reasoning for following God was not out of duty and obligation. It was out of desire. It was a desire, internal desire. It changes everything when you follow God for the right reason. It changes everything. Otherwise, it's dull. Otherwise, the Christian life, if you're following God because you, you're, you're bound up in the law and, and, and you think that you're doing good or impressing God or you're going to present how good you are before God, that's a terrible life to have to live. You don't understand grace and you don't understand mercy. And the believers here, they understood it. And so Paul deals with them on aspects of life. And so we, we want to get in, there's some, there, there's some lessons that we see here in chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, okay? When you're falsely accused, what do you do when you're falsely accused? And this was part of the persecution that Paul faced, and we learned from him that the best way to defend your conduct, the best way to defend your conduct is to have the character of Christ. That simple. So I want to give you lesson one, and then we're going to break these verses down. First lesson is this, let the record speak for itself. Let the record speak for itself. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1 here. He said, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Let the record speak for itself. What do we mean by that? The record validates a visit by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what Paul is warning the believers at Thessalonica to see. Our coming was not in vain. We weren't just sitting around and going, hey, where you guys want to go? Well, I like it over toward Thessalonica. It's a beautiful place. And I think that would benefit me. And I think we could hang a hammock over there. And I think it would just be a wonderful trip. And we could go do what we want to do. Our coming was not in vain. Our coming was directed by the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul makes that clear in every part of his walking and going through. So their coming was inspired by their calling. Now, this is important because the last person or people that you want to follow is somebody who does not have a divine calling from God Almighty. 
They will lead you into places that look like good pasture, but then there's an ill motive behind it, and it will lead you in the wrong direction. And you'll find yourself drinking Kool-Aid when you don't want Kool-Aid, right? You'll find yourself uh, uh, looking for a blessing from God and feeling bad because you're not getting it when all you've heard is health and wealth, prosperity. You'll find yourself looking for a place to hide in a big group rather than to serve God and pay the price of being a disciple in this sinful world. And that's why it's important that you have leaders like the apostles. There's a chain, I hope you get this, there's a chain that goes all the way back to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And so even though you don't have Paul and we don't have Paul here and we don't have Timothy and we don't have Silas, we have men of God because God, when God basically gave the two church offices, those offices were for the church when it started and those offices were for the church when it ends. And so if God gives the two offices of elder and the office of deacon, then those two offices are still true today. And whatever God says about those two biblical offices and whoever God says should fill those biblical offices, it does not change from the time it started. That's why we have the Word of God. That's why we have the Bible. Because God is a God of order. And God's not a complex God. He, 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 he's very wise. He's very smart. And He doesn't really... When He lays out an order, He lays it out. If we just follow it, it's simple. But it, man, man will do everything to get away from following the order of God. It blows my mind. Blows my mind. And the enemy is at work behind that when we get away from God. And Paul says, we're not coming on our own motive. We're not coming for selfish motive. We're coming because we were called to come. So their coming was inspired by their calling. Their calling was God-ordained, so it produced confidence in them. Now notice this, the confidence when Paul stood before his accusers, when he was falsely accused, he did not stand in his own confidence. He did not have to say, well, let me take my coat off, my cloak off, and roll my sleeves up, and I'll just set the record straight. Sometimes that's the way we want to respond, right? The false accusation, I'll just set the record straight. We'll just fight this out. How many of you has that really worked for ever? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. No, we'll just fight. No. Paul didn't do that. His confidence came because of his calling. Because his calling was inspired by the Spirit. And he could stand and say, look, these guys over here are saying I'm up to no good. They're saying I'm trying to lead you astray. They're saying all I want is your money. Hey, look, if it, if it wasn't for the calling of God on my life, there's a lot of the places I would choose to be myself. Than to sit here and go through this persecution. And to sit here and deal with these obnoxious unchristian Jews who rejected Jesus and want nothing to do with him. There's a lot easier lifestyle I could choose to follow. Do you get that? I, I hope you know we're here because of our calling. So the confidence was not produced based on anything they had done. It was all because of the power of God and the gospel they proclaimed. So let the record speak for itself. Be a man of integrity. Proverbs 27. Blessed is the man who walks in his integrity. Well, how's he blessed? Oh, in so many ways. But in this particular way, the verse says his children will be blessed after. So that when they hear something out in the community about their dad or their father, or they hear something about from some disgruntled church member, elders, listen closely to me. 
When, when somebody says something negative against you because it's a work of the enemy, because he doesn't like the order, he doesn't like what God's doing, you don't have to fret. Here's, here's the truth. When you know who you are and whose you are, that's all you need to be concerned with. That's a, like literally this morning, does anybody have an accusation they need to bring against me that's true and valid? Anybody? Anybody? Now, I don't do that to be arrogant and boastful. I do it to say we should be able to do that. And even with that said, it doesn't mean that somebody's going to stand up and not have one that they think's right that's really false. But you know what it gives me the opportunity to do? To work that out. Let's work that out. No, that wasn't my intention. No, that wasn't my heart. No, there was not that in my heart. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I would never want to hurt you in that way. That's not my heart. Thank you for helping me see that. I can get caught up in myself. Thank you for being a constructive critic and helping me see that. I do have to rid flattery out of my life. Whatever that issue is with you. How many of you know we all got some junk in us? Now, if you think you don't, there's probably a church down the street for you where you'll feel more of a part. I know that's it, but I'm just being honest. And I don't want to be anywhere near that church that represents the Pharisees who think they've got it all together that turn their nose up on everybody else and will never let the Spirit of God do surgery on them when the Word of God is being preached. And Paul was respected by the people of God because he was called and he had a calling, but he had a character that reflected Christ. And that's why when you get into Timothy and Titus, for those who fill this biblical office of elder, you will see that there are qualifications that those men are to have. And in those qualifications, all the qualifications that the men are to have represent who? The character of Christ. They're to be above re reputation. They're, they're to be above reproach. They're to have a godly, a Christian reputation. They're, they're to be controlled men. They're to be sound men. They're to be disciplined men. They're to be men that understand what a godly man should be. Men that understand what a spiritual leader should be. Men that understand how to lead their home. So let the record speak for itself when you're falsely accused. That's what Paul did. He let it speak for itself. There are a couple principles God has shown me all through my life of ministry, way back when I was a student minister, and I try to share them when I can because it's just the way he gave them to me, and they've proven to be true. They've proven to be true. Here's one right here when you're falsely accused. You do not have to expose someone. They will eventually expose themselves. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It may take time because some of them are so smooth at it. It may take time because some of them are so good at it. But you do not have to expose someone. They will eventually expose themselves. Now, I'm talking about someone who is doing things that are harmful, that is doing things that are attackful. I'm talking about people that have deep-rooted insecurities and issues, and they haven't dealt with them and found their identity and confidence in Christ, and therefore you're going to be the recipient of all of their built-up junk. Because we're flawed, we're messed up people. 
And so you don't, you don't really have to expose that. Well, I tell you what. I tell you what, they said that lie about me, so just let me go to the world of news where God would want me to do and go and Facebook and just tell everybody how bad that person is. Let me just make sure that I get, get, get my name in the clear, that I didn't do that, and I didn't say that. No, that's not true. That's a half-truth. They didn't wait around for the full truth. i got to defend myself. No. No. Just be Christ. Just be Christ. Some may say, well, it sounds like Paul was getting up there and having to defend himself. Paul was in a position, and Paul had the platform, and Paul was called by God to preach the truth. And so, therefore, Paul was called to lead the people, and Paul didn't want the, mis, uh, the, informa- the misinformation they were given and the false lies to hurt any of those young believers and them not understand what the gospel was about. So Paul had every right. Paul had a platform. We've had to use platforms here before because of the work of the enemy to set things straight. And you just, you just have to do it to keep order, to keep unity in the church. Well, let me give you a second lesson right here, okay? Second lesson is uh, let your reasoning be all for the gospel and for the glory of God. Let your reasoning be all for the gospel and for the glory of God. So we said, let the record speak for itself, which Paul did. He knew this was a trustworthy message. He knew the record could speak for itself about his commitment to this message and this book, that he believed every bit of it, that he believed it was God-breathed, and that he had a calling on his life, and he was committed to that calling, and that calling on his life produced confidence on him that even when the persecution comes for speaking the blessed truth, he was going to stay faithful to the calling. Do you know why so many false teachers that are on TV, and they're not all, but most of them probably, don't preach the whole counsel and truth of God? They don't preach. But do you know why so many can stay in it? Because they're not facing the real enemy and the persecution that comes against a true messenger of the Word of God. That's why when it gets real tough and society begins to question what the biblical standards are that the Bible teaches and what we stand for and how they change, they'll start to kind of go, well, I just don't want to upset anybody about talking about that. Oh, really? So, so rather than deal with what the Word of God says about the issue, you just don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. You will not find a prophet of God. You will not find a messenger of God. You will not find it in Abraham. You will not find it in Moses. You will not find it in Jeremiah. You will not find it in Isaiah, where those men of God were running a popularity contest to please everybody. They were speaking, thus saith the Lord. And Paul had that same type of confidence. Why did he have it? Because God called him. Why did Abraham have it? Because God called him and said, get up and leave your father. Your father's worshiping the moon gods. I can't use him. But I'm going to use you. And I'm calling you. And you're going to be my spokesperson. Moses, I'm calling you. And you shouldn't have made excuses about your speech because I'm going to send you hard-headed brother with you now and it's going to cause you some consequences. But I'm going to redeem all of that and use it. But I'm calling you. The calling, the calling, the calling. The calling. Paul says the calling, the confirmation of the calling, the internal calling of the Holy Spirit of God, the external calling of God's people around saying, wow, God's hand is on this person. Wow, this man 
is preaching God's word. Wow, this man is above reproach. Wow, these elders have devoted their life to serving God. And that's what Paul was dealing with. And then he says, their reasoning, their reasoning was all for the gospel and the glory of God. No selfish motive. Look at verse 2 verse through, through, through verse 6. And we'll share on this part, and this is where we'll wrap it up for today. He says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness. Everybody say boldness. Boldness. Boldness in who? Our God. To declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Do you know there's peace when you can call God as your witness? Paul had to do that several times. There's such a peace. Think about that. Some of you right now, you're falsely accused. Some of you have been falsely accused in your, work, in your workplace. Some of you have been falsely accused in your marriage. Some of you have been falsely accused and you're in opposition with someone. But there's peace when you know you're not in opposition with God. That's where the greatest peace should come from. Something's jacked up or messed up when I desire to be more at peace with man and gain their approval than be at peace with God for being obedient. And that's what Paul is saying. Let your reasoning be all for the gospel and glory of God. The record's not going to change. The record's going to speak for itself. But make sure you're fulfilling the record. Make sure you're not preaching a false gospel. Make sure knowing that the enemy will come against you and when he does, you just open that word and you clear you off a spot and you preach not your opinion. You preach not the little three quick fix message. You preach the whole counsel of the word of God in a holistic way to where people are growing, becoming more like who? More like Jesus. Paul saying that's what's needed. So there was faithfulness to preach and present the gospel. They did not allow the persecution that preceded their visit at Philippi to keep them from coming to Thessalonica. Notice there was firmness, boldness, he uses the word. Boldness that was what? Holy Spirit driven. Boldness in our God. Look back at verse 2b there. He talks about the boldness and where it comes from. He says, as you know, we have boldness in who? That's how martyrs do it. That's how martyrs do it. That's how a martyr can be placed on a stake when they are towed. You deny him and you can walk free. You deny him and you can live. You deny him and you can leave here with your wife and children. All you got to do is deny him. If a man boldness comes from his self his charisma anything about him he'll walk away but if a man's boldness comes for God from God with God inside of him (laughs) then like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that man will say our God is able to deliver 
He's a delivering God. But even go on to say, see, here's what we want sometimes as Christians and kind of easy believism that's in the American culture. We want to stand for God, but we want to know that God's going to show up in the fire ahead of time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You face with something because you stand for God. Well, I just want to know that it's going to go good. I just want to witness to you, father that's lost. Witness to you, mother that's lost. Witness to those close family that's the hardest to witness to. And you're saying, well, God, just show me that it's going to work out good. God didn't call you to worry about how it's going to work out. He called us to be obedient to sharing it and planting it, planting the seed and watering and being obedient to that. We'll be held accountable to our obedience to it, not the result of it. But we won't, we won't know how it's going to work out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they faced their persecution, when they faced their opposition, when they were being falsely accused as coming against the king of the day, the same way with Daniel, they said, our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us from this temporary fire, <laughs> we're already delivered. How do you face false accusation? How do you face oppression? How do you face the demons of hell that are riding on you when you try to live for Jesus? How do you face the world and the ways of the world coming against you when you find your identity and your soundness in Jesus Christ and you don't entertain the lies of the enemy that he will use? You stand and face it because you know who you are and whose you are and you know you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And you do not need man's approval. You do not need your father's approval for who you are. You do not need your mother's approval for who you are. You do not need, young ladies, a boy's approval to tell you who you are. You're a child. You're a princess of the Most High God. And man, you're a son of God. And so your confidence comes from that God. And so our confidence as Christians, even the Christians in here who aren't called to be an elder, and there's a message in this definitely for the elders, but even the Christians in here who are just called to be a disciple, this is, you can't throw this out and say, that's not for me. This is for you. Because if you're truly living for Jesus, then you're going to be falsely accused. It's just going to happen. And it's going to happen more and more in our time as we get closer to the return of Christ because the Bible's true about it. So there's a firmness, there's a boldness, Holy Spirit driven. There's a foundation, a fountain, a fountain that is pure. Look at verse 3. I love this, this concept, foundation and fountain. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Notice the word spring. When you think of the word spring, what do you think of? Well, you can think a lot. You can think of the season of the year. But you can't help but think of the season of the year because when you think of the season of the year, everything gets green. Well, what makes it get green? The rain of, right? the rain of God. The rain coming down from God. It's what produces the green. It's what produces the growth. And the, the, the rain comes from God, so the foundation is God. God is the one sending the rain to the earth. God is the one sending the rain to your life spiritually. And so he says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. We're just, we're just little stones. What do you mean we're just little stones? If Peter could come back and say it today, here's how he'd say it real clear, and it would upset a lot of people. I'm not the Pope. I do not have papal authority. In no way am I 
to be level with this blessed book. I'm just a preacher of the gospel. I'm just a messenger of the gospel. That's, that's how he would say it. And, and the message I proclaim will line up with this word in this book. And the day, no matter who I am or how I've exalted myself as a man, the day that my lifestyle and character does not reflect Christ and line up with who Jesus was, you need to make sure I'm dealt with. And Paul said, That's, I've devoted my life to that. But notice this. Not only did Paul say, I'm devoting my life to it, I've devoted my life not only to Christ, I've devoted my life to his church. I'm an apostle. I've seen him in purpose, in person. I was persecuting Christians, thinking I was doing a good thing, even having them killed. God met me on the Damascus Road, and I have a calling on my life. And you know what? As much as I'd like for it just to be about uh, that calling only to kind of where I'm dealt with, but just me and looking in the mirror, it's not. I'm going to be dealt with for how I deal with all of you, Paul's saying. John said it about Diotrephes in 3 John. He said, you better deal with this man who wants the preeminence in the church and among the people, or you'll have an unhealthy church and a divided church. And all across our country, we have people sitting in church. They're not there for Jesus. They're there to get their name on a piece of paper where they can chuck their shoulders and let everybody know who they are, how successful they are. God said, not in my church. Paul said, not in my church. That God's called me to shepherd. Not in the church of the elders. And so he's, putting, he's laying down a biblical order with firmness, boldness, not dic in a dictator way, not in a dictatorship. But he's having to be strong in that to bring about biblical order. But he knew he could because of the foundation. Christ was the head of the church. He wasn't. But he was a messenger. He knew the fountain was without error. He knew the fountain was pure. He knew the gospel that he preached had the power to change lives and cleanse people. He knew he had been affirmed by his father. Look at verse 4 real quick as the band moves in place. But just as we have been approved by God. Everybody say approved. Oh, man. When you're approved by God, who cares what man thinks and says against you? Who cares what the enemy says about you? Now, I hope this goes a little deeper sometimes than we allow it to go, but can I share with you something that some of you already learned? Some of the people that are going to hurt you the most and cause you to question God and question your confidence and question your ability are going to be the ones that look like God that get so close to you, and they're going to be the ones that challenge you the most. It should not be, Paul would say, in the house of God. It should not be in the body of Christ. It should not be. And many people will give an account to a holy God for coming in what he ordained and causing division. They will give an account. Many people will give an account for coming against the bride of Christ. Many people will give an account. Now our prayer should be that they don't have to give the account because God shows them why they're still living on this earth and they come to repentance of what maybe what they have done, to repentance of falsely accusing. But Paul said, we're affirmed. We're affirmed. We're approved by God. Approved to God for what? 
to toot your own horn? <laughs> no. We're approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel. And the thing that's so awesome about God is even if a man had ill motive and a man was all about flattery to get out of it what he could get for himself, the Spirit of God within you as a true believer would reveal it to you and you would know the difference. And the reason many can't see the difference when they turn on a false prophet or a false message is they are biblically illiterate and don't know what the Word says. And many have been sitting in churches for years. It's okay if you're a new believer to be biblically illiterate. You should be. But it's not okay 30 years down the road. You said, is this happening in the church today? You better believe it. The enemy comes in. The enemy uh, presents a false lie because he doesn't like the work of God. He doesn't like the order of God. And somebody entertains their immature ear to a false truth. To a half truth. Did you hear? No, no, but I want to. Is it good? Is it juicy? But yet not firm in the foundation. Not seeking to live a life that is error-proof and Christ-honoring and God-honoring. And even though, even though they should be way down here in their sanctification, they're not. They're little babes. And to think about a little babe if it's unguarded and doesn't know who its parent is and its father, and we'll get into that next week about how he says that they've been as a mother and a father, well, they'll just roam around and get lost. It's like a lamb. It's like a sheep. They'll just roam to the next place rather than go to the fountain, rather than go to the father. Their focus, let me say real quickly, was evident. Look at verse 4b. Their focus was evident. They weren't there to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Man. Like the old song that says, I don't want to be a man pleaser. I just want to be a God pleaser. The Bible says, Proverbs says, the fear of man is a snare and a trap. Why in God's name, if you're working for someone and you're falsely accused and you're trying to live the Christian life, and I promise you it's going to be harder on you to be an employee there than the person who's not trying to live their life for God. So go ahead and embrace that. Go ahead and get ready and know it's going to be tougher. Why? Because you're trying to bring a truth. You're trying to bring light where there's a lot of darkness. You're trying to bring light to where there's a lot of darkness. Expect it to be tough. But then you've got to ask yourself a question and dig down real deep. Whose light am I really wanting to shine? Because if you want to shine your own light, you'll say, let somebody else be the light in darkness. I don't want to encounter any persecution for standing for Christ. I feel better by temporarily getting even with somebody who's done me wrong. I think I'll forsake becoming a mature believer and I'll shine my light and do what I want to. <laughs> it's not the character of Christ when we do that. What would Christ say do? He would say love your enemies. He'd say bless those that persecute you. He would say, get out on your knees and get a towel and basin and wash their feet if the Spirit leads you. That's just who He is. Their focus was evident to please God, not man. Their flattery could not be found in their lives, and neither could greed. That's what He's saying in verse 5. It's 
it's, it, we're here. We're an example. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit, he said in chapter 1. And then he said, we never came, verse 5, of chapter 2, with flattery, words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. God is our witness, he said. So what was he saying, ultimately? He's saying, forsake all to please God. Let your reasoning be all for the gospel, for the glory of God. Now, as you bow your head and close your eyes, okay? This is going to be real quick and real simple. Because it's the Spirit's job to do the work within you. There are some of you sitting in this room today, you honestly may have heard the truth of the gospel for the first time. Like, like you, may, you may have heard it for the first time, or you may be hearing it recently for the first time. There's a drawing going on in you, is the bottom line. I'm trying to say there's a drawing going on into you, inside of you. And you know it's not something in and of yourself that you've produced. And in fact, some of you know you're doing everything to get away from it, but something keeps drawing you to truth. What in the world keeps drawing you to that truth? It is the love of a God who created you. It is the voice of God through the Holy Spirit. You are His child. You are His child. But you're not his child spiritually. But you were. Before sin. Created. In his image. And it breaks his heart. That you would choose your own way. That you would choose the thought systems of the world. That question God and the authority of the Bible. By the way, you will never find any teaching that gets more scrutiny and questioning than the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be proved to you. It's true. You won't find any other false teacher. You won't find anything that gets the scrutiny by agnostics and atheists that you find the Bible gets. What are you saying, Pastor? The devil works the hardest to come against what is real. He works the hardest to come against what is real. So maybe you're that person. You say, I want Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to just say a little prayer to get a free get out of hell card, but I want Jesus. It's real simple. You say, why don't you kind of lead people in prayer? Well, I'm just basically leading people in Romans 10, 9, and 10. That's all you're doing. It doesn't have to be some elegant prayer. It just has to be that you are confessing Christ as your Lord. What does that mean, confess Christ as my Lord? It means understand that you are turning from your way, yourself, your sins, to follow Jesus. Jesus does the inviting. You're responding to the inviting to say, Lord, I will follow you. And then Jesus becomes, through salvation, your Lord and your Savior. If that's you and you want that, tell him right now, dear God in heaven, Lord Jesus, I know you're God in the flesh. I confess you as my Lord. I turn from myself as a source of salvation. I turn from my sin, confessing them all to you, asking you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name.